0: All right, join with me as we, as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, dear Lord, there are so many names for you in the Bible, but the name that you chose for yourself, Jehovah, I am who I am, tells us so much about you. It tells us that you are Lord. You are more than anything else possibly is. You always have been. You always will be. You are unchangeable. You are incredible, you are the one who has the supreme authority in the universe, Lord. There is nothing that is not under your domain. There's nothing you do not see. There's nothing you do not order. Lord, there's, everything is just held up and sustained by the power of your command. Lord, we praise you and we think back to the days that they first heard, when Moses first heard your name to today. Lord, you are still Jehovah. You are still our Lord. and We worship you and we adore you. Lord, today we just want to thank you for perhaps a gift that we take for granted every week, which is the gift of your word. Lord, that we have this special revelation given from you to us that through the hard work of many dedicated Christians over the years, we're able to read in our own language. We have it available to us freely, where it's not hidden away behind the pulpit or behind the government. Lord, just being able to go to the scriptures, being able to read Old passages with new eyes, having your word revealed to us week by week through the Holy Spirit, just such a privilege, such a wonderful gift. Lord, let us never take it for granted. Let's never look at the Bible as something to be endured, but something to be looked forward to as we get to go back to the word every day. Lord, today we would ask a blessing upon Pastor Rick and the church over there at Belen Presbyterian. Lord, please be with them. Bless their congregation. Help them to be a shining beacon of light in that community there in Ohio. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you would be with Pastor Rick, uh, Lord, th- with the burdens he has in his office, that you would just give him equal amounts of encouragement uh, and strength Encourage, um, encourage him through the people surrounding him, that he would just have a great core that would lift him up and bless him this week. Lord, we lift up to you Nathaniel Sandy, one of the missionaries uh, that this church prays for. Lord, as he's dealing with prostate cancer and going in for surgery, we ask for, for prayers that the doctors would be able to treat him well, to be able to use their skill to the utmost, Lord, that he would recover well and be able to continue on with his work, uh, spreading the word for you. We also ask for Deborah's brother-in-law as he's going through surgery. Uh, this past week for a detached retina, that he would be able to heal and have his vision brought back to him. Lord, I was reminded this morning that many people in this church and many people in this community also suffer from uh, from arthritis, Lord, that they wake up and there's just a lot of pain. It's so hard to get moving, so hard to deal with a chronic pain, Lord, and we just ask that you come into those joints to give them relief, you give them strength to deal with these trials. And Lord, we just ask that um, You would help to heal some of these situations. Lord, please come into our lives this week. Come into our lives and change us. Lord, we don't pray to change your mind. We pray asking you to come and change ours. Change our minds to be more like you. Make us more Christ-like every day. Make us more loving, more gracious, more full of forgiveness. Lord, make us stronger in you so that we would not be timid, but we would be bold And expressing our faith and our witness to others. Help us to love our family, love our community, love our friends, love our brothers and sisters here at Knox Church. Lord, we just need that love so much, and we know it's at the core of what you have commanded us to do. Lord, we lift up all these things and so much more to you, knowing that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, uh, prays for so many things that we just cannot express, we don't have the time to right now. Lord, thank you for being you. Thank you for being Jehovah. In your name. Amen. Sometimes I feel like I could just sit there and listen to them sing for a good half an hour there. Please join with me as we open our scriptures today to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 35 through 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May God bless the reading of his word. So it never fails. Every time we see a major hurricane start to come into the American shores, everybody we see on on TV, everybody battens down the hatches, nails up the plywood, raids the grocery store, and flees to safety. Everyone, of course, that is, except those people chosen by the Weather Channel to put on a rain poncho, (laughs) grab a microphone, and stand out there in the middle of the street while large chunks of buildings are flying by, and then they get to say things like, it's really windy out here, for those of us watching at home. Um, I, never, I always think that's crazy. I think most of us think that's crazy. Probably the person standing there thinks it's crazy, but it makes for good TV, and that's why they do that. It's a weird mindset to want to go into a storm. To want to go, usually I rather prefer to either escape them, or view them at a safe distance. When Buffalo, even last weekend, we've had a crazy winter here. Last weekend, we had that windstorm strike up on on Sunday, actually, when we got home from church. I much prefer listening to it from the safety of my house than when I had to go outside and make my way step-by-step to the trash can, which was just flying all over the place and, and just feeling the force of that wind. When I went outside... Anytime I go outside in a fierce storm, it reminds me of how small and powerless I really am. Of course, not every storm is made up of weather, is it? The truly vicious storms that rip through our lives can come in the form of prolonged trials, unexpected tragedy, and nasty temptations. We find ourselves battered by the downfall after downfall. Even this morning, somebody told me, that why, why do bad things always come at once? Why can't they just be spread out? I, that's sometimes not how a storm works. The storm crashes at us all at the same time. And in those moments, we cry out in desperation to God, where are you, God? Why don't you save me? I think that's why we can connect with the disciples here in our reading today in Mark. And there's this hard truth that both we and the disciples have to learn that sometimes God steers us right into the storm. Sometimes he allows the storm to hit us dead on. But there is a purpose for it, and one that glorifies him and benefits us in the long run. So that's why we're going to take a look at this today. So if you were ever to take, if you are ever given the charge of creating a landscape that would somehow create the most vicious storms in the world, you could probably do no better than the Sea of Galilee. It's already been done. The Sea of Galilee rests several thousand feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And towering above it, if you just go several, like, 30 or 40 miles beyond the Sea of Galilee, you actually go up about 3,300 feet above sea level to Mount Hebron and a whole uh, mountain range. So what happens is the winds up there, the wind moves down over the mountains and then rushes down. And the, the Sea of Galilee functions as a bowl that scoops up the wind and then will stir it up into horrible storms that will come out of nowhere. And it still happens today. In fact, today, there are signs for tourists especially who are uh, driving along the Sea of Galilee to beware where they park their cars. There are signs saying if you park your car here, a storm could come up like that and it will push the winds and the waves over and swamp your car to be careful where you park your car. This sudden and violent weather was one reason why fishermen, back in biblical times, would take their boats out at night instead of the day. You remember how Peter and James, when Jesus first came to them, it was the morning, and they were coming off their night shift. They would go out at night because traditionally the weather was calmer at night. The sun was gone. The sun wasn't heating up that wind that would come and make those storms. The worst of the storms tend to come during the day. But not in this story. See, in this story, out of nowhere comes a storm. And this this violent storm that happens in the middle of the night. In this passage alone that we read, Mark, who, as I explained before, doesn't use a lot, he uses like the same words over and over again. And he uses one word in particular three times in this passage. And that word is a word, the Greek word for great, which is mega. We've heard of mega before, you know, something's mega this, mega that. He uses that word three times, and the first time he uses it is right here when he calls this storm a mega tempest. It's not just a small storm, a little light rain and maybe a crash of thunder here or there. It is a squall so bad that the waves are breaking over these 27-foot boats and crashing. And out of nowhere, this, this squall is coming up. The waves are coming over and over again on the boat's side. And even some of these disciples who are seasoned fishermen are bailing out the boat left and right and feeling like there's imminent danger of death, that they are going to capsize and drown out in the middle of this lake. Of course, they don't even have uh, life preservers. But even if they did, probably wouldn't do them any good. Back in 1999, I was with my youth group, and we took them on a whitewater rafting trip down the Colorado River. It was a lot of fun. And our instructor gave us all these great instructions on how we we should uh, avoid getting up on rocks. That was a bad thing for boats. So he said, if you ever saw a rock, you know, maybe maybe, perhaps paddle away from it. And we said, oh, that's a great idea. Problem was, I was in a boat full of middle school teenagers. No offense toward middle schoolers. I love middle schoolers. They are not always, uh, how do I put this? They don't always have the preservation of their life at the top of their priority list. So while we're paddling down and we're hitting our first Class three rapid, everybody on the right side of the boat went, oh, look, a big rock. And then they all stopped paddling. Us on the left side kept paddling. What happened? The boat drifted right onto the rock. And suddenly we're like, hey, we're tilting. Now we're tilting more. And now kids are flopping out into the water capsized in the middle of Class three rapids. Could be worse, um, but still, it was my first time getting dunked into the middle of white water, and it was not a pleasant experience. All of a sudden, I've got water, it's crashing over my head. I'm trying to remember what the instructor told us. He, you know, he said, if you fall out of the boat, try to keep your feet pointed downstream, keep their feet up, uh, try to keep your head up, don't die. That's generally good <laughs> advice that he gave us. But, you know, you don't have a lot of control in this situation. You're just trying to survive. And I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm feeling, you know, fear for my own life because when the first wave crashes over you and you can't get a breath of air, that panic reflex kicks in. And suddenly you're like, ah, ah, you know, you, you want to survive. And at the same time, I'm worried for these, te- these, these middle school kids because I hear, ah, I'm like, hang on, Timothy, you're going to be, oh, you're probably dead, and I'm going to have to tell your mom. It's not good. So yeah, I can identify here with the terror that the disciples felt. I think most of us have those moments of terror in our lives where rationality just goes out of the window and we have that survival reflex, the panic that kicks in. But the thing was that all of them, all of these disciples that were in that boat had forgotten who had led them into the storm. Just a verse before, Jesus told them I need you to cross right now. He led them into that storm. Jesus knew that there would be a storm. Jesus led them right into the midst of it. They have forgotten that. Peter later wrote in his first epistle, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. Years later, Peter learned the lesson of the mega tempest, the mega storm. That storms are not just unfortunate events in our lives. That God went, oh, whoops, I, I didn't see that happening. Sorry, Dudley. Sorry that storm hit you. Didn't, didn't mean that to happen. I just was looking the other way. Rather, Peter said, these storms hit us, and God will sometimes send us right into those storms because they are essential for growth in our lives. They are essential for our faith to grow. Faith tends to grow the most, not when we're in times of peace, but when times of trial and adversity. We may not like that at all, but that's how it is. So yes, God leads us into storms. God ordains some of these storms to hit our lives. But I think it's comforting to know that they aren't pointless and they are not meaningless. God has something to show us and teach us through them. So we shouldn't be like the disciples when these storms hit us who see nothing past their own survival, who when a storm hits them, The only thought in their mind is, I want things to go back to the way things were. I don't want to be in the middle of this storm. Get me out of this right now. But the disciples haven't arrived at that place in their spiritual growth yet. I think if they knew who they were really with, they wouldn't have been worried. There would have been no fear in that boat. They would have been just as calm and collected as Jesus was, lying there on a cushion, taking a nap. Knowing that they could probably sit down and enjoy the rest of this ride as if it was a roller coaster. Because they were as as close to being as invincible as any people have possibly ever been. They were with Jesus. Jesus had just assured them that they would get to the other side. They wouldn't die. They were invincible. They should we should have had twelve men sitting on that boat, arms in the air, going, Woo! All the way down. Instead, they're scared for their lives. But that's not what the disciples do. I think that woke some people up in the back, by the way. (laughs) Instead, these disciples frantically wake up Jesus. They dare to rebuke Jesus, yelling at him, Teacher, don't you care if we live or drown? What a thing to say to Jesus. Don't you care? In that moment, they wonder if Jesus even loves them, even cares for them at all. They're not thinking clearly. And they're not really understanding the question that they're asking him. And yes, we do this too when mega tempest hit us. We yell, God, are you really there? Did you fall asleep? Wake up and save us already. I know I've said this. I know you have too. And our panic, our unbelief fails to acknowledge that God has just never fallen asleep on his watch. He's never let us fall out of his care. It's then that Jesus acts, and here I want to share with you perhaps the most astounding passage for today, from Psalm 107. If you want to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 107, you can. But if not, I want you to hear, in light of today's story, these words from the psalmist in Psalm 107. Listen to this. Some went out to sea in ships, They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke, and he stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Listen to this. He stilled the storm with a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them. To their desired haven. I read that and I think I got chills for about a good five minutes. Hundreds of years before Jesus calmed the wind and the waves with a command, the psalmist put this story to paper right there. This is no coincidence. This is a psalmist looking at envision of Jesus calming the wind and the waves. He knew the power that Messiah would have all of nature under his command. To order about as he wills. And it's here that Mark uses the second of his mega terms. We've gone from the mega storm, and now Mark says there was a mega calm. There was a mega calm that Jesus brought about. Jesus muzzles nature here with a divine imperative. We've seen this before in Mark chapter 1. Remember when Jesus commanded the demon, be quiet. It's the same imperative that Jesus commands nature right away, quiet, be still. And all of nature is still. When Jesus talks, nature listens and obeys. The storm, the storm doesn't like gradually wind down. It's immediately over. And Where a minute before you couldn't hear somebody screaming right next to you, now you could hear a pin drop in the boat next to you. Perhaps you're wondering how I survived my first-hand experience going down through those rapids in 1999. Honestly, I don't even remember much of the journey because there was a lot of panic through that white water, except to know that soon thereafter we had floated out to the calm safety of still water and reeds. I remember being lifted out of the water by strong hands and being put into another raft by some of the other adults who were also fishing out the kids. We lost nobody, which was good. I remember just sitting there, and after that, that horrible experience of the, the fear and the panic of just enjoying the calm, of being recentered and knowing that I was safe. And in fact, I was always safe. There were always people around us. I was wearing the life preserver. I was in really no great danger but my mind hadn't processed that. I can't imagine how the disciples felt right here in this story. But I will bet you anything that right after Jesus said, quiet, be still, that they were eyes wide open and they were just sitting there for five minutes going, what happened? During that time, in that era, These apostles knew that so many people worshipped nature, elevated the sun and the moon and the storms and all these elements of nature as deities. And these people would fall down and they would worship things like the storms. And now they're in a boat with somebody who when he talks to a storm, that storm goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'll be quiet. This man that they're with is over nature and their minds cannot process it. Jesus then asks this question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He had tested them. Jesus had led them into this storm, had given the disciples this opportunity to show faith, to stick their hands up, to enjoy the ride. Instead, they had failed that test. They had failed to show this faith. Jesus was trying to tell them they had no reason to be afraid because he was with them. John 10.29 says, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hands, out of my father's hand. You see, living or dying, believers are safe in the hands of God. Nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. Once you are saved, you are always saved. And man, that is just such a great thing to know to the core of your being. So when you are in the midst of that storm in your life, you're feeling the panic, you're feeling the terror, you're feeling the stress, you're wondering where God is. Know that God is not just watching you. God is in that boat with you. He is holding your hand and he is telling you, son, daughter, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm right there. And when we know that, even that, then even in the middle of that storm, we can feel the mega calm that he's there. I once had an English professor tell me that as Christians, we are often trying to put God into a box. We thought, that's kind of weird. He says, no, no, people do this all the time. He says that what we try to do is we try to contain God into a safe box a box that we kind of understand. So we put God into a box of our own definition so that God is safe, he's understandable. He's something that we can approach and we can go, I, I know him because God God's my friend. And that's a safe thing to put God into a box where he's just my friend. And God, God's up there, but he's not down here, so that's really safe. Does that make sense? We do that, he says, we, we put God into this limited box where God is a safe entity, he's a calm entity, We can kind of worship him, but he's no greater than than everything else in our life. God knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. God's just our friend, but not really a king. God is powerful, but not too powerful. God is safe. The box means God's safe. But the problem with that box, my professor then went on to say, is that the box is a lie. God isn't in the box. God is all around that box. And whenever we get a glimpse of God, of who God really is, the depth, the breadth, the infinite span of his power and his majesty, his knowledge, it terrifies us to the core of our beings. We are finite people. We are sinful people. And when we glimpse, we have a glimpse of the glory of God, of his power, we shrink back into ourselves and we feel terror and we feel awe. We cannot comprehend somebody that holy, that infinite, and that powerful. I think before that day on the lake, the disciples were clearly trying to put Jesus into a box. I think that the box that Jesus, they had put him in, was Jesus is a teacher. He's a really good teacher, but we understand what teachers are, and that's a safe thing. So Jesus is a teacher. He's our friend. He's our leader, and we can follow that. But he's no more than that somebody who has has powers, but those powers are limited. And we understand that. And then on that day, Jesus stands up and commands all of nature to be quiet. Jesus breaks right out of that box. And the disciples have a reaction to it. They are terrified to the core of their being. Mark actually shows this transition from what was a very understandable fear. A fear of dying, a fear of drowning, a fear of panic. On their, and their, of their immediate survival to a deeper fear, a fear of the, un, of the known to a fear of the unknown. And this fear that they're feeling right now where they're terrified, the Bible tells us, is a fear of disciples who look at Jesus and they ask this question, who is this? It's not who we thought he was. It's not Jesus the pal, Jesus the friend, Jesus the teacher, He's Jesus, the nature commander now. Who is this? And then Mark uses in verse 41 the term mega fear. They've gone through a mega storm. They've experienced mega calm. And immediately they have mega fear. They have a fear that is greater than a fear that they had previously known. Previously. known. I want to close with a strange observation, so just go with me for a minute. The mega fear that emerges here at the end of this story is a good fear for the believers to have. It was essential for their growth. Understand, I'm not saying what we need to be living lives of fear, that we need to be scaredy cats who always have a blanket of fear dominating everything in our lives 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that the spirit God gives us is not a spirit of fear, but is a spirit that gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God doesn't want us to live our lives as scared people, but that doesn't mean we can't have a proper respect, a reverence for God that goes deeper than anything we've felt before and goes into the realm of fear and trembling, the fear of something that is Unsafe. God isn't a safe God. God isn't an easily contained God. It's a healthy terror that acknowledges that God is who God is in a way that we are not. We are to approach God, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. But we are to approach him. We are invited to go into the presence of God. Just not arrogantly, not casually not with a a sense where we're taking God for granted, but with our vision always on this is the God of the universe who with with a word made the world, who with a word calmed the storm, who with a word commanded a dead man to rise from the grave, who made a dead girl sit up, who made blind men see, who made lame men walk, who himself went to the grave and returned. When we have a healthy respect for God, we have that fear of the Lord, the mega fear. It puts us in a sense of awe and reverence so that when we go into the presence of God, we cannot be arrogant. There's just no room for it. We are humble and bowing down at God's feet. When you experience God moving in your life, tremble in awe that He is moving in a way that will increase His glory through that storm. And will better your life through it. I will close with this. I'll say this promise. You will weather your storm with the help of God. God will be with you. It may not seem like it. This storm in your life may be temporary. It may be going to the end of your life. But you will weather that storm. God will help you endure it. God will give you that strength. And through that storm, you will see the sovereignty of God in motion. As God stands up, he commands those things and he shows you how much greater he is than any trial in your life. You will feel that good fear in your life. The good fear that increases your faith and takes you from a drowning disciple to a bold believer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we are in awe in awe of a God who can command the winds and the waves. Lord, we all have struggles in our lives right now. I don't think there's one of us in this room who doesn't struggle with a sin, with a problem, with a situation in their life. Lord, in all these storms, we cry out to you. Let us cry out to you in the right way, Lord. Lord, please save us. Please help us. If you, don't, if you choose not to save us right now, Lord, help us to endure it. Give us the strength. Give us the encouragement. Help us day by day to get through this battle in our lives. And know that when we battle, we're doing it with you. And Lord, we are in your hands, and that is a good place to be. Lord, help us to remember this lesson. Help us to remember to not be surprised, as Peter said, when ordeals hit us. But to know that it is a privilege to suffer in your name knowing that one day there will be no more storms. One day you will calm all the storms of our lives for good. That would be a wonderful day indeed. In your name, amen. Please receive the benediction. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.